morning K3C and praise the Lord. Uh, it's, I realize I may be new to a uh, number of you, so let me pr- not presume that and introduce myself. <laughs> so my name's Aken uh, Kamau. I had the privilege and the blessing of being serving as a senior pastor in this church for nine years. Um, and about two and a half years ago, the Lord um, transitioned us out and you sent us out to, as missionaries to Sydney, Australia. It's been uh, uh, an amazing journey uh, of faith um, because, as you know, we are serving in a, in a culture that is uh, post-Christian. Uh, and so that has come with its own blessing and opportunities, but also its challenges. But in all in all, I have come to say that God is faithful and God is doing an amazing thing uh, out in Sydney, Australia. Now, as I continue from last week, I will just continue weaving the update and the story of what God is doing through the sermon and if you need more details, come see me. Now, I forgot to say this in the earlier service, so I'll need Pastor Dennis to do this for me. Uh, as I share about this, some, I've learned some of you actually, through work, end up somewhere near Australia. Now you know you have a church plant out there, and you're welcome. Okay? Uh, Australia is one of those places you don't happen to be by. You actually intentionally go there, because it is so far. All right? You can't just like drop in. It's, you, you make a plan to be there. Now, Last week we began uh, our mission month uh, by building around this one truth. Last week. Any great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. And that's the truth we built around. And the main text we used was the encounter Christ had with the woman at the well. And we say that mission is not an activity. Mission is not a strategy. Mission needs to be a lifestyle. And no one lives it out better than Christ himself on his way, stops by a well, engages in a conversation with this uh, lady who's there at the well, and that conversation moves from just being an, a normal conversation uh, that he faces a, a lot of barriers for, and ends up with this lady being an amazing witness for Jesus Christ. A woman who was broken, a woman who was on the, uh, on the fringes of society, moves back to her village and shares about Jesus Christ. Missions is not a strategy, is not an activity, is a, it's a lifestyle. As from last week, any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in you first. Well, today we want to continue on with this conversation and we want to talk about the grace for missions or where grace abounds. And the truth we'll be building around today uh, from Luke 7 is this. Grace drives missions. So we're going to read Luke Chapter 7, I'm going to read from verse 38 uh, all the way to, to, to the end. And that's a text we'll just remain on and sort of exegete it as we go along. So let me read for us. So if you can turn your Bibles or switch them on, whatever works for you, and turn to Luke 7 verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. A certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful uh, alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. 
Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he cancelled the larger debt. That is right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. Verse 49. The men at the table said amongst themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God bless his word. Grace drives missions. Now Jesus Christ is on a journey through Galilee. Capernaum and he's headed towards another town. Now as he's walking, two significant things have happened that lead to this conversation. The first one is he encounters a Roman official whose son he heals. And he does this by speaking. The second thing that happens is that he heals, he comes across a, a funeral procession and raises the widow's daughter, the widow's son. Out of this, two key things happen. We see that early on, the people start to say, this must be a prophet for the things he's doing. He must be a prophet. And so out of that, he has a conversation with Simon, the Pharisee. We do not know the context or where he has this conversation, but we know that Simon is, is powerful enough to be able to invite Jesus Christ to his home. And this is where this conversation happens. Now for us to understand the significance of what Christ says, it's important we understand the cultural backgrounds or the framework within which Christ is operating. Now hospitality in the biblical culture had a few facets to it. Now for the Jews, they, the way they lived out their faith, there was no dichotomy. Their faith dictated, Judaism dictated how you, what you ate, what you drank, how you dressed, and even how you hosted people. It was part of it. So for this, in this culture, as much as in our culture, guests were believed to be sent from God. If somebody came to see you, you believed they were sent from God. They were a blessing to you. And especially if somebody was prominent, you'd see them as a blessing, as a gift from God. And we see this is what happens in Genesis 18 when, when Abraham sees these guys. He sees these are people who have been sent by God. So the first thing, anyone entering your home, you see them 
as somebody who's been sent by God. Then there was a cultural practice of how you received guests, especially guests of honor. The first thing you do is that the guests would never come to your house. You would go out to meet them. I mean, you see this when, when, uh, when Jacob goes to meet up Esau. We see when Abraham goes to meet his guests. It was cultural that you go out to meet your guests. And it was a sign of honor and respect. And when you met them, the first thing you do, you give them a kiss on the cheek and you kneel down and you welcome them. Now coming to the house, the houses then uh, were and some are still built in three sort of sections. You have the outer wall which is the boundary. And in the, inside that boundary you have the houses for the slaves, you have the, where they would keep the sheep and cattle. Then the, you have the inner part which you'd have the, 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 the family house and, and all this, your children. And then there's a central part where you'd host your guests of honor. Now when you receive your guests and walk with them, when you get to the gate, there would be people seated there or waiting there to wash your feet. Because, I mean, they were walking, it's dusty, it's the Middle East, and it's really hot. So people would receive you, wash your feet, and even the host would give you a robe to wear, would anoint you, give you perfume, so that you could go in, because they would sit on the, on the, on the mats down, sit down and have your meal. So we sat seeing the conversation happening. So, somehow, Simon has managed to get Jesus Christ in. So, Jesus Christ is seated there. Now, as the meal goes on and everybody's talking and having fun, talking uh, Judean uh, politics, uh, you know, all these things, they're talking about all these beautiful things. But there is an elephant in the room. Because scripture tells us this. Verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she bought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Verse 38. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Now, everybody's in, but Christ is seated there on the ground. There is this woman at his feet. There's this woman at his feet. She's crying. She's weeping. Nobody knows what is happening. But something is amiss. She looks out of place. Now, it was common for people, when you hosted a, a guest of honor, it was common for people to come to the house. It was not uncommon. So when you have a guest, the villagers will come in. It hasn't changed much. All the villagers will come and you'd slaughter a bull for them and they're eating out there and you'd have your guests in the house. We see this is common when Zacchaeus had his, had his uh, people, uh, when he was having, to, to, conversing with Jesus Christ. I mean, there were people around. We see at one point, Jesus Christ is in someone's house. It is so packed that they have to dig a hole to bring their friend in. It was not uncommon to have people, a multitude, in the house. It was not uncommon for the guests of honor at one point to stand up and address the people. It was not uncommon. But what was uncommon was a woman in the inner chamber with the other men. This is really awkward. Could you imagine you've invited Pastor David to your house? And you're having a beautiful meal. And he's there eating, but there's a woman at his feet crying. Now what do you do? She's there, she's crying, and she's not leaving. She's right under the dining table when you're eating there. So Simon is observing what is happening. And then we get a glimpse into what he's thinking. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. 
Now remember, Simon is a Pharisee. He's technically in our days, in our equal day, a lawyer. Gifted in the law. He knows, he has full understanding of the law. And so he starts with this premise. He starts his legal, sort of his logical thinking is exposed to us. The first thing he says is, if this man were a prophet, this is built on the premise of what the people have said earlier on. He has healed a Roman official son. He just sent a word. He has raised someone's uh, son from the dead. And people have proclaimed in around verse 16, 18, this surely is the prophet from God. So Simon knows that. So he starts his thinking from this position. If this man were a prophet, he knows what a prophet is like. He's a Pharisee. He's read it through and through. He knows what a prophet is like. So he starts building his case around this premise. If this man were a prophet, if he was a prophet, then this would happen. He would know what kind of woman is touching him. Two important things. Prophets with the gifts of discernment and all that would know, would proclaim, we know, they would see you and they would, they would know you've sinned. So if you came to them, you could not lie to a prophet. They would know through and through who you are. Secondly, a prophet or rabbis or teachers never allowed women to touch them. And especially this moral woman. That's why we see earlier on, there's a woman who touches Jesus Christ. She's healed. And when Christ asked who touched me, she was afraid. Because women did not touch this man of God. So he built this case. If this man is a prophet, then he would know. What would he know? That she is a sinner. His logical conclusion is this. This man does not know who is touching him. That she is a sinner. Therefore, he is not a prophet. Verse 40. Continues on. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. So this guy, what has been laid bare by Christ is what's going on in him. He has not said a word. Jesus Christ answered what? His thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to tell you. He says this. Go ahead, teacher. Now the term that Simon replies with is this. The term teacher is a term of honor, respect, rabbi, and all these things. When he speaks these words, the people around him see what he's saying. What comes out? This man respects this man who's speaking. He's calling him teacher. But what has been revealed to us? He does not believe this man is a prophet. He does not believe. Now Simon, as he's processing all these things, Christ starts with the story. He says this. Verse 41. Then Jesus told him a story. What question is Christ answering just before I go? He's answering the question, this man is not a prophet. That is the issue. That's what he's answering. That's the question he's responding to. A man loaned uh, money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Now there are people listening. The multitude is listening. The story he uses is not foreign to the individuals who are listening because they are an agricultural society. It was normal for people to till land and in times when there was drought or, or things like that, war, it was normal for people to borrow money from rich people, buy seeds, get people, get water, get uh, cattle, hire donkeys. It was normal. 
And then when you harvest, you'd sell your crops and pay back the money. But it so happens you could do that and there's no, for the farmers who are here, you know that it might not rain. So if it ended up you could not pay the debt, you'd get into what is called crop share. Crop share. Meaning, you'd till the land and then you'd give a portion of it to the person you owe money and service your debt over the number of years. Now, 500 pieces of silver is a lot of money. It is something even the people seated there could not fathom. It's like me saying, you went and you borrowed, uh, let me say, 100 million from the bank, and somebody borrowed 50,000 from the bank. That's equivalent we're dealing with. Now, if you could not pay, then your land will be taken from you. Your wife and your children will be taken from you and will be sold as slaves. And that's why God instituted the Jubilee year when people would be given back their land and back their cattle and back their family. God put this in place because this was a reality there and then. So Simon listens to this and people around sort of know what the answer is. And Simon knows it. He says this. I suppose the one who counsels the larger debt. That is right, Jesus Christ says. Then he turns to the person, to the woman. Now what is the first thing we see? Here we see a man who's a Pharisee, who's read the law, who knows it back and forth, who's influential enough to invite Christ into his home. But the reality is this, that this man called Simon appeared to be so near to God, but his heart was very far from him. He was so near, yet so far. He, looked, he used the framework of religion to look at Christ. And when he did all his logical thinking from his premise to his conclusion, logically it said this man is not a prophet. He sat across the Messiah, but could not see him. He was so near, yet so far away. And this is the reality we live in the world today. It's a reality. And Christ goes on to, bear, to, 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 to show us the true nature of where Simon's heart was. He says this, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust off my feet. Now he's saying this and everyone can hear. He's laying bare where his heart is. He's not full of uh, basic courtesy. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't get, greet me with a kiss. From, but from the time I came, I first came, she has not stopped kissing my feet. What is he saying? He's telling Simon, you are so, appear to be so near to God, so near to me, but you're so far away. And this is the danger of when we step into missions with religion as our focus or our worldview. Many of us know the language, the church language. We know the church practices. We know how to read our Bibles. And in appearance, we appear very close to God, but our hearts can be very far from Him. And this is what Christ is laying bare. So near, yet so far. This is the reality we live in today. When we started the church in Australia, when we started ministering, one of the challenges we faced, as, as shared from you, with you from last Sunday, we started off with nine people and started growing slowly. One of our, our leaders, one of our equivalent of our elders, worked for DHL. And he was really excited about what God was doing in the church. So he decided to invite people to church. 
So he invited this young lady to come to our church. Now, one day as I was walking to the sanctuary, I find this lady standing outside the door. I mean, she's outside below the stairs, just looking at the building, just standing there. So I assume she's in the community and I'm like, okay. Um, I say hi and I go in. But towards the end of the service, I see her in the church. So I'm like, wow. So I go greet her and I introduce myself. And I said, oh, I saw you outside there. If, you know, if I knew you were coming in, I would have welcomed you. I mean, you look like you're just passing by. She says, no. She tells me that she's been told about um, church and everything. Her experience had been really, really bad in terms of growing up in church. So when she walked, got off the train and walked to the building, she physically could not enter the building. She was so scared, so tense up, she just stood there and looked at the building. Until the person who had invited her came and brought her in. She came the first Sunday, the second Sunday. By the third, fourth Sunday, she was able to come into the church herself. But another thing is this, that she's coming from an unchurched world. Now, when you, many of us uh, in our country have been exposed to Christianity in some form or nature. Whether you were in primary school, you did PPI, or in high school, you're part of the CU or in campus, or some, many of us, maybe not all of us, majority of us, has, have some framework of Christianity and God to work with. So in a post-Christian nation, you're dealing with people who do not have that framework. That's why last Sunday I shared about a gentleman who walked in church and was smoking. And I tell him, you cannot smoke in church. For me, it is common sense. For him, he has no framework. This girl had no framework. So, during the tea, like we're doing out there, she would start talking without a filter. And she would use, honestly use just words that, you know, just I'm like, oh Jesus, oh my Lord, what is this now? Because she has no framework. It, is, it was hard for me to believe there are individuals who do not have a framework of God to work in. My son invited two young boys from his soccer team for, for Sunday school. They came to our house, we're having a meal, I was doing, I was, uh, doing a barbecue for them. And my son asked, hey guys, what are you doing tomorrow? So you come for Sunday school. They're like, Sunday school? Like you go to church, on, you go to school on Sunday. They're trying to understand what is Sunday school. They cannot, they genuinely did not know what Sunday school is. That's the framework we're working with. People who have no idea. So this girl is speaking and she has no filter, just saying things. And I'm like, oh my Lord, what do I do now? I said, okay, Lord, you've brought her. So finally, um, there are two wonderful women who come to see me in the office maybe a month later. And they tell me, uh, Ken, now, there's this girl who's come and who's been here coming to church. We have to tell you, either she goes or we go. I said, now what? She talks with, you know, she's just talking, using language that is inappropriate. I said, this girl does not know Christ. She has no framework. She's living her own normal life. That is how she normally talks. I work and before, they said, my friend, it's either she goes or we go. Now, these women were part of the nine original people. And now I can understand why the church was not growing. She goes or we so I thought, I said, okay, what do I do, Lord? What do I do in this situation? Uh, and, and they were not budging. There was women who, the, the church could be named, our church is 91 years old. And I have people who've been there uh, for about 60, 70 years in that same church. So where are you telling them to go? 
They are part of the building. They are part of the framework. They are part of the furniture. So I said, no. I will not tell this girl to leave. I will not do it. We prayed for God to bring growth. We do not pray for other Christians. God is bringing us people who are different. And you know there, people don't really, they say what they think. Anyways, after a while, I did not see the girl. I started, I wish this story had a good ending. It doesn't. Let me tell you. Let me warn you ahead of time. It doesn't have a good ending. So, I don't see her. So, I tried to call her. She's not picking her calls. Washuka tried to text her. She's not responding. I'm like, what's happening? I came to learn that they took it upon themselves to express the desire. They just, this is a girl who's 24. And they're telling her, you know, in this church, you came and found us. We don't talk like that. So, you need to find a church that you can talk like that. This is not the church for you. She has never come back to church. I don't know where she went. Here are two amazing women who love Jesus. They make the tea, they clean the hall. In all appearance, very close to God, but in heart, very far from Him. And this is not only thing happened in Australia. Even in this church, there are many of us who live very good religious lives. In appearance, close to God. But in practice, far from him. Grace drives missions. And grace has to be the foundation on which we build missions. It's unfortunate how soon and quickly we forget that we were once in darkness and God by his grace brought us into the kingdom of his son. And we forget that we were once lost and now are found. And start living a religious life. And this is what Simon was going through. The true state of his heart was brought to all to see. As he appeared close to God, respected, loved by everyone. But Christ tells us, and he is comparing her to this immoral woman. Could you imagine the shame that is going through this man? Because Christ is, you know, he was talking just in front of everyone. The people around him were his closest friend. And he's saying, I'm comparing you to this immoral woman. You did this, she did this. You didn't do this, she did this. What is he saying? He goes on and says this. I tell you, in verse 47, her sins, and there many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows little love. Here is a woman who we see outwardly appearing so far from God. It's known in the city. It says, a woman... When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there. So everyone sort of knew this woman. It was known, it was common knowledge. May have been, she may have been ridiculed, pushed aside. The people, people talked behind her back. But there is something in her that drove her to break all boundaries that she saw. She walked through all those rooms in a culture that was predominantly male. And went to the innermost room and sat at the feet of Christ crying. She did not need to utter a word. Christ saw where her heart was. Christ saw a broken and contrite spirit. And that he will not reject. Right at the feet of the the guest of honor. She knew that her time, she had tried all other things. And this was her one chance to meet the savior of the world. This was her one chance to find redemption. And I want to let you know. This woman had no theological training. Maybe she didn't even know how to read. Outwardly appeared so far from God, but in that room, she was closest. 
to redemption and grace. In Jesus Christ, grace abounds. The psalmist writes this, for us who are here and are in that space of feeling broken and rejected, can God really do anything through me? God, can, can you do anything through me? This is what the Lord says. Say this, can I ever escape from your spirit? Can I ever get away from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the furthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and you will strengthen me and support me. If I ask darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you light shines as bright as day and darkness and light are the same thing. This is what Christ is saying. This woman goes there. She's had enough of hiding. And we need to come to a place where, if we're going to engage in mission, we need to come to a place where we move away from religion. Because I think religion is the greatest shackle we have in the church. The greatest shackle is religion. The great, one of the greatest hindrances to mission is religion. And this is what the Pharisees struggled with. And this is what Christ spoke against. I mean, he did all the, I mean, they would appear pure and holy. They would go to the synagogue. They would go to, let's put it in our times. They would go to church every Sunday. They would give their tithes and their offerings. They would know what to say. They would pray with people. But what does Christ call them? Whitewashed tombs. That's what he calls them. Graveyards. That's what he calls them. Why does he do this? Because they had replaced the grace and mercy of God for religion. And this is the challenge we have. A few years ago, the Australian uh, government did uh, an inquiry into institutional abuse. Basically, people are complaining about abuse in institutions and they set up a royal commission to investigate it. After two years of investigation, last year, the commission gave out its report. Now listen to this. 86% of the people who came forward as abused, 86% had been abused in a church. 86% in a church. The other 14% is spread out within, uh, you know, uh, workplaces, whatever, these things. But 86%. And this came out in a nation that was already fighting against God. In New South, South Wales, where we are, one of the things that was written into the state uh, constitution is that Every public school must have a chaplain. Every public school must set aside time for scripture where someone comes and teaches scripture. This is written into the constitution of the state. Not the federal one, the state in New South Wales. Since that thing was set out, people have been fighting to remove that using the same thing. Now this is what happens. Once the, once the, pro the thing was made public, so many great men and women of God have fallen by the wayside. And they would look at the history, they would say, this is so and so, Cardinal, so and so, or, or Father, or Pastor, so, or Reverend, so and so. And when you look at the outside, these were individuals leading great churches, doing great ministries, from the outside appearing to be close to God, but their hearts were so far from Him. Religion. And it's in this state and in this environment that we share, 
God's love. Grace is what drives mission. So the conversation with Christ continues. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. Could you imagine the, what happened in that woman when she heard those words? All the chains broke down. She got up from, from, from the table. She was free. As she walked out of that room, she didn't care anymore what people thought. She came in that room broken and wounded, but encountered grace and love and left whole and free. This is what happens. When Christ says, peace be with you, this is a shalom, a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a wholeness that comes only from God. And that is what people are looking for. People are looking for peace. People are not looking for religion. People are looking for hope, for peace, to be reunited with God. People are not looking for religion. And in, when we're in a Christian, by Christian quote-unquote nation, there is an appearance of, of, of growth of, of church and people. There's an appearance. But when you go and take a lot of our young people who come to Sydney or other parts of the world to study, who come from Christian home, they're not anchored enough. And they go to a place where they have freedom. And religion sheds off and they realize they start being themselves. And a lot of them get into trouble. Grace drives mission. He tells her, your sins are forgiven. And verse 49, The men at the table said amongst themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Now remember, Simon has just been worked on by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has told this woman, Your sins are forgiven. They are there because of what happened in verse 16, 18. Where people have said, This is the prophet of God. And Simon has gone through his own process and said, If he's a prophet... He would know who's touching him. He doesn't know, therefore he's not a prophet. His heart has been laid bare. But the hearts of the people around him have also been laid bare when they've questioned, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Jesus ignores them and says this to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in shalom. Grace drives missions. As I come to the end, let me share with you one last story. When you serve in a post-Christian environment, it moves from being about what you say to how you live your life. It moves from that. It comes to a place where I've, heard, I've, I've had to learn that it's not about... You know, when I, I grew up in Deliverance Church, Rungai, and we used to set up, we used to launch churches like Popcorn. Because what would happen, we'd run a crusade. And in that crusade, at the end of the crusade, we'd announce, next Sunday a church starts here. And as I reflect on it, I was just reflecting, I realized a lot of the people who came to those crusades, whether hundreds, were people from our church or other churches. I've gone to a place where I cannot share, um, I legally cannot share my faith outside the, my building, the church. So if I go to a school and I'm doing SRE, which is teaching of scripture, I cannot tell the children that they should receive Jesus Christ. I cannot do that. If I do that, I've infringed on their rights. I go to visit people in hospital and I'm not allowed to pray with them unless they ask me for prayer. And you can tell some of you go to visit people at home and you know he needs people. This one just needs prayer and deliverance. You, you know. But you cannot tell someone, can I pray for you? Because they can say you have imposed your faith on me. 
So we've come to a place where we've realized there are two ways to deal with these demons. Number one, prayer. Let me tell you, there is no other strategy for church growth or church revitalization other than being on your knees. There is no other way. So one of the areas that has grown in our church is prayer and fasting. And I remember the very first time I introduced prayer and fasting in our church. Things that we do here, norm, it's normal. When we, Pastor David says we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting, it's okay. I had to explain to people, you cannot fast chocolate. That is not fasting. Or you cannot fast watching football. Teaching them, prayer and fasting is sacrificial. And it's abstaining from, I just, teaching, you know, I went back to Sunday school. And we started with one day of prayer and fasting. And people complained, so the next one we did half a day. I said, no problem, we start from step one. But we've grown over the year. To the last one, we did three days of prayer and fasting, met on a Saturday, and prayed for our community. People started doing prayer walks. Told them, in this place, just walk. When you're walking to work, when you're walking to the... Pray, intercede. And we've started seeing growth. Growth of people who are coming to church who have never been in church. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Grace drives mission. Prayer sustains it. The second thing we've done is learn to be invitational. Live an authentic life for people to see. Before you tell people get saved and all that, people see how you live your life. An authentic life is so empowering, so powerful. Your transformed life is the best platform God will ever give you. Just change. So what does it mean today for us? How does our Monday change? It changes in this way. The first thing, like this woman we've read about, every one of us has brokenness in their life. Every one of us here has an area of brokenness. An area we need to run to the Lord with and kneel at Him, at His feet, weep and cry and say, Lord, would you have mercy on me? Every one of us, myself included, struggle with areas of brokenness. It could be vast and different, but none of us is right and righteous and none of us is perfect. So the first thing I would like us to do is go before the Lord genuinely and authentically. Let's put religion on the side. Just put religion away and stand before the King of glory and say, Lord, this is my area of brokenness. Lord, may you save me and redeem me. The second thing we need to do is stop. How does our Monday change? From tomorrow, stop living religion, start living missional. Stop religion, start living missional. This is my last, this is my third in conclusion. And last one. In conclusion, what am I saying? I'm saying this. God has given you a privilege and an honor to serve him in missions. Grace drives missions. Prayer sustains it. If you can put aside religion and live an authentic life, your transformed life is the greatest platform you will ever have. Your transformed life is the greatest platform you'll ever have. That is what drives and sustains mission. Grace and prayer. So when you walk to the office tomorrow, before you start saying, Jesus is Lord, be good at what you do. Work with integrity. Work well. People will see that. Before you start holding Bible study for your small group in your office, be a good steward of the things the Lord has given you.
Your transformed life is the greatest platform you'll ever have. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather around your word. And Lord, we are so blessed, Lord, to be in this country where we can still share our faith openly and honestly. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that will see this as a privilege and not a burden, Lord. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you'd guard our hearts from pride, Lord. That, Lord, you'd break away the religion that may be in us, that may be hindering us, Lord. That you'd free us from those shackles, all of us, myself included, Lord. And we humbly come to you like this woman, kneeling at your feet, saying, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you've said in Psalm 51 that a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise, Lord. We come to you broken, seeking, Lord, seeking to be made whole. As eyes are closed and heads are bowed, you may be here and this is the first time you're hearing this message that God loves you and no one can fall too far from God's grace. You cannot fall too far from God's grace. You may be like this woman who, where you've lived a broken life and are just seeking hope in all the wrong places. True hope is found in Jesus Christ. And you may be here and seeking that. You're hearing this for the first time or you've heard this message before but you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Today you have an opportunity like this woman to walk out of this place in freedom. And so if this is where your heart is at, I just want you to put your, up your hand so I can see it and then put it down and I'll pray with you. If you're saying, I need to be redeemed, I need to be restored back to God or I want to start walking with Jesus Christ. Just put up your hand wherever you may be. I will see it and I'll pray with you. Just put it up straight so I can see it and then put it down. Wherever you may be. Saying, I do want to receive. Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? Just put up your hand. Just thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? For those that have raised their hands, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And, and for those of us who know Jesus Christ, let's repeat with them so that we encourage them. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I have sinned against you. But I know that you're a gracious God. And therefore I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me whole. Amen. I want to thank for those of the four that put up your hand. I want to let you know that you've made the greatest decision today. That your journey with Christ has begun today. And you're going to walk out like this woman. You walk out in freedom with shalom, a peace that surpasses understanding. And so why don't we just celebrate and give the Lord a hand for those three. And now, for those who put up your hands immediately after service, please do not leave. Please see one of the ushers, one of the people in red, or Pastor Dennis who's up here, I just talk to them. They really, we want to talk to you, let you know about the decisions you've made, and, and just give you more tools to be able to help you uh, get found, uh, grounded and work well. And finally, I want to pray for those who are here and are saying, I really just need boldness to, to live out this grace. I, I'm struggling. I've, I'm, I'm wrapped in religion, whatever. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray for myself also. Because sometimes I find myself also slipping to that place of religion. But I want to pray to, for us to pray together. So if that's your prayer, just put up your hand and I want to pray with us. Just put up your hand saying, Lord, I just need you to 
free me from this and I want to live an authentic life. Father, thank you for the hands that are lifted up. Lord, we come before you humbly and just ask, Lord, may you free us from the bondage of religion. Break those shackles, Lord. We want to walk in freedom. Help us to live, or live out authentic lives before you. Father, we pray that we will be salt and light, Lord. Genuine and authentic, Father. Give us the boldness to have this conversation with grace, Lord. And Lord, in, just infuse our prayer life with energy that will be able to sustain this, Lord. We know that it is you who says, Lord, we know that it's a privilege to serve you. We surrender our lives to you and ask for this freedom in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen.